There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. This week on Inside Jobs, Brian, Gene, and Lee investigate the rise of the Fourth Reich. On January 30th, 1933, Hitler assumed the role of Chancellor of Germany and promised to usher in a Tausendjähriges Reich, a thousand-year empire of Nazism across Europe and the world. A little over 12 years later, Hitler was dead and the empire was in flames. But could a secret network of true believers export Nazi ideology and methods to bring about a successor? Joining me to discuss the rise of the Fourth Reich are civilian investigator Eugene Franca O'Neill. Gentlemen, hello. And conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Don't be stupid. Be a schmoddy. Come and join the Nazi party. I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Jobs. Rise of the Fourth Reich is also how you refer to your erections, right, Brian? (laughs) (laughs) If they happened. Yeah. (laughs) After he had that Enzite, it was the thousand-year Reich. (laughs) Man, when are we going to get sponsored by Enzite? I don't don't know what that is. I think you just call them and ask that you don't know what that is. Brian, every time you open your door, a tidal wave of them comes <laughs> no, splashing no, no. out. Seriously, what is it? Go to smilingbob.com and you'll it's, find out, Brian. They're dick pills. They're those... oh, I, I only use herbal remedies. Oh, that, okay. This is what this is, Brian. It's the uh, over-the-counter dick pill. <laughs> over-the-counter dick pill. You don't you need put a... your dick over-the-counter yeah. they give you a pill. A penis spits out a pill right over-the-counter. It's kind of, but it's like pointless in my case. Why would I ever need an erection for anything? Memories. <laughs> oh man, remember that time I had that boner? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we all remember that time, Brian. <laughs> How could we ever forget? It was while recording that Rise of the Fourth Reich episode. Yeah. Oh, Brian, cheese, put that away. Maybe I will. <sighs> Maybe, Maybe we'll I will. Maybe so we'll long, a lo- long time, long time listeners of this podcast know that Lee and I are obsessed with talking about Nazis. Pro- possibly me more I, than I Lee. I think even first time listeners know <laughs> that you guys are obsessed with Nazis. Yeah, if you scan over our fuck, what is this episode twenty four, twenty five, something like that? Mm-hmm. If you scan over like our minuscule amount of episodes, m- m- a, a disproportionate number of them are about yeah. Nazis and the Nazi first, conspiracies. The first twenty four episodes of the show. Each episode was an hour out of the history of the Third Reich, and we're working our way through. <laughs> um, but uh, but so last week we recorded an episode with the the talented, smart, and very funny Dan Merck. And oh, handsome. Man, he was great. Well, to each his own. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Dan, Dan was, was very nice to come on our show and put up with us and ask some really great questions about global warming. Um, yeah, I like that format of the kind of like... You were being interviewed, Brian. Yeah, I I was talking about this with Lee during or Lee. You are Lee. Yeah, I was I'm talking Lee. about it with Gene during the week, and it, 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 I like you were talking to me too. without me. Jesus, Brian. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I like that format too, but it doesn't really work when it's like we're telling a story. Yeah. Uh, although it's now cool that I guess, think about though. it, when I think about it, this this subject is not necessarily a linear narrative to talk about what happened. You know what diehard Nazis did after after the end of World War II? Yeah, we tell it yeah. Pulp Fiction style. 
But all that said, <laughs> diehard we... Nazis such as Alan Rickman. <laughs> we realized we didn't have a topic for this weekend, and so we just said, "Oh fuck it, we'll do a Nazi episode." Yeah, because uh, it will require very little research. And indeed, Lee and I uh, were able to parse out some very good information about you know the subject at hand. But I fans even... love it when we pull the curtain back and show how lazy we are. <laughs> <laughs> topic selection. Well, in the but, uh, index to the archives, um, you know, it's one of those big kind of phone book type things. And the whole N section, the N-P section, is well worn from all the times we've looked up Nazi-related stuff. Yeah, I've replaced my CD-ROM of that multiple times. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, we, we're very interested in talking about Nazis. I don't – I mean, I, I, it would take a whole episode to figure out why exactly. I, I think it's just partially because they're the – You wish the you word- were a Nazi. You well, are a Nazi. well, not ideologically, but costume-wise, yes, I very much do. Um, also, it would be nice to have friends. Yeah, just be nice to be part of something. Yeah, um, you would have joined the Nazis to make friends. No, no, I, 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 I think I would have been killed very early on in the Nazis because of my political beliefs of not being a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But but no so so as we've discussed in the, in the, in the past, um, talking about the rise of the Nazis, Nazi ideology, and uh, some of the peculiar uh, beliefs of some of the top Nazi officials, um, it's a it's a very peculiar ideology that is remains rooted or you know was very much rooted in truth, uh, you know, ro- <laughs> romanticism and. Um, you know, hatred, of course, but then there was also this idea of of world domination, and of course, because of our friends who I like to call everybody else in the world, <laughs> uh, they weren't they weren't able to realize their their plans of world domination. And towards the end of World War II, a lot of these they were a little ahead of their time. Yeah, a lot a lot of the a lot of these ideologically. Um, you know, sound Nazis did read the writing on the wall and uh, started to plan an escape because they knew based on the crimes that that Germany had committed during the war and the <laughs> appetite for vengeance that the Soviets, the Americans, the British and many others had, they knew that they were going to be in trouble. And so different pockets of Nazis started to look into ways of saving themselves after the war, if not necessarily by, you know, using a false name or a false identity in Germany or Europe. Uh, then by moving elsewhere, particularly to Latin America, but also certainly in the Middle East and uh, uh, the United States, of course. Um, but immediately after the war, there were so many things going on that the Allies had to focus on. Rebuilding all of Europe being <laughs> probably foremost on the list. But then certainly the Nuremberg and other uh, victor trials that went on. Um some of the top Nazis, uh, m- you know, quite a few of the top Nazis had been killed. Adolf Hitler, chief among them, but also Goebbels and Himmler had killed himself. All the greats. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's certainly a murderer's row of Nazis yeah. went down in those final weeks. You took them, Lord, in your wisdom. <laughs> but Hermann Goering and uh, many other uh, top Nazis were put on trial at the Nuremberg trials. Even as other uh, allied groups began searching for, you know, the Nazis who had escaped 
unfortunately, with so much going on, a lot of them kind of, you know, it's way oversimplified to say that they slipped through the cracks, but essentially that's what they did using what were later known as rat lines and communication uh, networks and espionage networks that had ties to the Vatican, the Argentine government and other organizations and were able to get out. Now, if you remember our second episode, which Gene, I which, think you're probably... How could you forget? Yeah, I know. Um, Operation Paperclip is one example of the way that some Nazis were able to get uh, to avoid punishment. And that was the preferred escape route. Yeah, this was, the way, this was the cool way. This is the way that Americans approved of. Yeah, escaping via biting a cyanide pill out of your own collar in uh, in a prison was probably the least... Of anyone's favorite ways to get out, um, but, it, but in choose your own adventure. That was like the least chosen. Uh, even yeah. even though if, even though that that section started on page sixty nine, and a lot of kids just like to turn there for the laughs. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no. Yeah. Uh, to, to sort of recap what Operation Paperclip was very briefly, uh, it was a great but, episode of Inside Jobs that you should all listen to. Uh, Yes, I agree with that. Also, you should uh, you should tell your friends about it, specifically on social networks like Reddit. Specifically, um, your neo-Nazi friends. Tell them how <laughs> great our show is. But a lot of Nazi doctors and scientists and medical professionals and a, 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 certainly espionage uh, or sorry, just spies um, were wanted by both sides of the Allies, and I know that was ridiculous. We're wanted by uh, by the Allies and the Soviets to sort of work for each side, and their their crimes were covered up essentially. And so people like um, uh, what's his name, von Braun, yeah, Werner von Braun, uh, and other rocket scientists were shipped off to the United States to work on NASA's rocket program. Tony and Stark Senior, yeah. <laughs> Wait, was he a Nazi? Yeah. Really? Yeah, Iron Man. His dad is a Nazi. Whoa. No, his dad teamed up with the with Tommy Lee Jones to take down the Nazis. Yeah, I thought he made Captain America. Yeah, because he knew that the Nazis were going to win the war, he cut a deal with Captain America. What? Yeah. Captain this... America had like powers of he had like a, he was like kind of like the Attorney General, sort of at the time, so he could make those deals. So he was a super soldier and a super litigator? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Is this canonical, or are you just uh, going off? Well, keep in mind, from... this is there is a multiverse. Yeah, yeah I true. think this is from Ultimate Captain America, not the uh, the original Captain America. Yeah, yeah, Ultimate Captain America being a, a good gateway for kids to get into the it series was, yes, and the yeah. broader <laughs> Marvel Universe. quickly discontinued because every issue would just be Captain America pouring over immigration paperwork. Yeah, and, and they, they and cutting deals with with companies Wait. that had made armaments for the Nazis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Giving it's them basically pardons. just it's basically just him hanging out with Joe Kennedy and Prescott Bush. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. Where Where were we? Oh, so one of the people that was able to get off the hook because of uh, deals that he was able to cut with the United States was uh, Galen who was uh, the head of the Galen organization. And this dude is... Oh, man. What? Galen? 
Yeah, I think you made the exact think, same yeah, joke. Last time we talked about this, it never stops being funny. All right. So he was a guy uh, that, that ran this huge spy ring, and uh, basically at the end of the war, he buried a bunch of uh, documents and information, and told the Allies, "Hey, if you want uh, all this, the Western, the Western Allies specifically." Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, the. <laughs> Uh, if you want all this information, you got to smuggle me out. Um, and uh, he basically got to continue running his spy organization out of uh, Europe and uh, was feeding a bunch of disinformation and information to us about troop movements and all kinds of stuff. But uh, in, in making that deal, he was able to get a pardon, or, you know, an unofficial pardon for himself and a lot of his other spies. But he was also able to run um, some of these rat lines, as they were known, uh, to help smuggle, you know, people who had cr- committed mass murder, genocide, crimes against humanity out of out of Europe. It's and kind of derogatory prosecution. I think, to call them rat lines. Uh, uh, yes, that was the. Yeah. Yeah, that was that's how they got uh, Master Splinter out, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just think, you know, all the Nazis that got smuggled out, they probably weren't yeah. too thrilled that, you know, the routes they were taking out were referred to as rat lines. It's just kind of, it's a little rude. Yeah, I think they did have, uh, you know, other things on their mind, though, like what would be the perfect exclamation to end the movie with? So basically what you're saying... They had always preferred Kawabunga. Yes. Master Splinter was Japanese, you guys. Yeah, did you know that Japan was also involved in World War II, Gene? Yeah, but they weren't smuggled out of Germany. Well, that's where your ignorance is showing. (laughs) And as Clint Eastwood pointed out, they were people. What? When did he point that out? In his movies. No, they were and in his personal (laughs) and in his personal correspondence. Wait, were there okay Japanese people? There were Japanese. No, uh, no, no. That was a joke about Master Splinter. I mean, Japanese people certainly lived in Europe during World War II, but they weren't. uh, You know, it it would have been impossible for a Jap a person of Japanese heritage to join the SS. Oh, okay. Well, there is um, there is a character in the uh, Kurt Vonnegut book Mother Night who is referred to as the I think the Hitler of Har- Harlem or the Harlem Hitler. The bl- yeah, the Black Fuhrer of Harlem. The Black Fuhrer of Harlem of uh, Harlem. Yes, he was an African American gentleman who like wears entirely Nazi attire and uh, hangs out with a bunch of neo Nazis. And I, I think books like that kind of sum up sort of what this rat trail is about. Um, and how it's permeated popular culture, this idea that there are Nazis living among us and, uh, you know, that any old man you see walking down the street could have been a Nazi or something like that. And you see it in, in movies like uh, Apt Pupil um, or The Boys Marathon from Brazil. Man. Marathon Man, exactly. Marathon, yeah. And um, uh, I guess it's becoming less and less interesting because most of these guys are probably dead or don't even remember what they did if they were war criminals. But uh for 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 decades, um, I think Odessa file. Get some guy who was like a hundred now, and he got yeah. He was on a respirator, and actually, <laughs> I actually wrote a short story. You can read it on my website, uh, author three three seven, about uh, this um, Hungarian police officer that hunts down a uh, former mer- member of the Arrow Cross Party, and uh, he has this uh, is your Alzheimer's. story, or this is what happened. No, this is the, my story, but it was based on this this guy who was found in Australia of all okay. places, and he basically content. when they. Yeah, sponsored content once again. And when they find him, basically he has Alzheimer's. He doesn't even remember his crimes. So, um, Jeez, at this spoiler point, alert. 
I, no one's going to read this crap, Gene. Wait, but then it turns out that uh, he was using a fake name and his real name is actually Khan. Yes, exactly. His name was actually Dezhosiramhas, which is like in Hungarian means like the place where Kaiser one waits so to die. Whoa. And I was I was uh, corresponding with this actual survivor of the, the Hungarian Holocaust while making this, this story. And he was like, I like your story. It's very accurate, except for the name of your bad guy is room where a person goes to die. That's really stupid. And I'm like, obviously, you don't know anything about American uh, or just Western storytelling. Obviously, in the English you don't language. know anything about your own heritage. Yes. <laughs> well, I didn't say this, but it's kind of like we have bad guys like Goldfinger, where it's just kind of like this is what the bad guy does. Yeah. So, um, that's that's basically a tradition started by John Steinbeck. We name our characters after what they are. Man, you really stuck it to that Holocaust survivor, Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> He no, probably doesn't I mean, even know who the babe is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, back back to the back to the topic at hand. So, uh, Gene, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and uh, and say Lee will be able to answer this directly. But your World War II knowledge is not all encompassing and boner inducing as is his. So I will ask you, who was the the like most badass Nazi in Nazi history? Oh, um, uh, Jim Eichmann, Hitler. I guess. <laughs> I'm not asking you, Lee. I'm asking Gene. Oh, okay. The most <laughs> badass Nazi. Yeah, like the Jack Ryan of Nazis. Uh, Jack Ryan of Nazis. <laughs> Rudolf Hess. He didn't fly mm. that plane. Uh, the yeah. Red Skull. The Red his, his his name was Otto Scorzani. I love how Scorzani uses all those like really long takes, like where you, you you go through the entire building and it doesn't cut. I thought he was really yeah. Good. His his Scorzani's use of uh, '70s rock tracks to underscore pivotal violent scenes is pretty amazing. Yeah. His Nazi yeah. mob movie is probably the best. Yeah. Oh, it just makes you want to do cocaine with Ray Liotta. Yeah. Hey, I'm committing genocide here. Anyway, you were talking about facts, Brian. So Otto Scorzani was this paramilitary figure and kind of a favorite of Hitler's throughout the war. And whenever there was a, you know, like a really primo, primo job, they would go, uh, Hitler would go to Scorzani to carry it out. So, for instance, when partisans arrested Mussolini in Italy and the relationship between Italy and Germany was crumbling when Hitler really needed uh, the Italian military on his side. Scorzani and a couple dozen uh, paratroopers got into a glider, flew over this mountain fortress where Mussolini was being held, paratrooped in, uh, and busted him out of this fortress and then put him back into power. And he, he was doing that kind of stuff all over Europe. And he did all of this with this crazy scar across his face. Man, why don't they make movies about this guy? <laughs> I know, it right? Is badass. Uh, but yeah, he he was in a fencing accident when he was younger, and so he had this crazy scar down the side of his face, like you know, a a, a movie villain. The only thing and, that would make that more Nazi is if he got the scar on his face from a monocle accident when he was a child, <laughs> or if the scar was in the shape of a swastika. <laughs> um, but uh, so if you go back to our episode where we talk about the plot to kill Hitler, Scorzani was the one who came to went to Berlin following the assassination attempt, uh, rounded up some. Um, uh, 
uh, Waffen SS soldiers and were able to take back the uh, ministry buildings from the coup plotters and then, you know, execute them all. And he's a hero to this day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he he was kind of like uh, this sort of James Bondy figure of of Nazism, just really the go-to guy to get shit done. And following World War II, like right at the end, he was arrested by the Allies. And, of course, he broke out of prison and escaped to Frankist Spain which was officially neutral, even though it had ideological sympathies with the Nazis in Italy and uh, didn't have a relationship with uh, the Allies in order to extradite any Germans. So he teamed up with Nicolas Cage and broke back into prison. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he was always going on about fucking the prom queen. (laughs) Um, But prom queen in, in German is like a specific type of horse, right? Yes, it is. Das Promkin. Yeah, from uh, from Bavaria specifically. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and um, Scorzani was living in Spain, and you know, very soon after the war, in like 1946, he founded uh, what has been come to, to be known as Fascist International. <laughs> it's it's like a it's like a super group for like a super terror group from. Like a J- an early James Bond movie or something. Oh, yeah. man. Um, so it's like when Velvet Revolver was formed. <laughs> yeah. Exactly Scor- like that. Scorsese-, Scorsese had the range of a Scott Weiland as well. That's kind of like... Uh, that was Eddie Vedder you were doing. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie Vedder. Get your Jeremy, head out of your yeah. ass. Jeremy yeah, yeah. spoke in class today. He gave a great presentation about Otto Scorzani. <laughs> the whole class enjoyed it. <laughs> Until he shot himself. Yeah. Uh, uh, so in Spain, he was able to f- form this fascist international group, also known as Die Spinne, or which is German for the spider. Which, mm. again, is James a pretty... Bond villains. <laughs> yeah. And You'll the never spider... get away with the spider finger. And the spider was this international organization... Devoted to helping Nazis escape from Germany and thus escape from any sort of retribution. Um, they should have called themselves Operation Paperclip. Yeah, no, uh, Die Spinne is German for Operation Paperclip. Oh, okay. Yeah, Die Spinne is German for go back to episode two, listen to it, and then rate us five stars on iTunes. <laughs> um, and uh, so Scorsini was using his uh, connections in... in Madrid, as well as connections to the Vatican and people like Richard Galen, which Gene, you can laugh again, but uh, he was using them to uh, <laughs> Vatican to, to help get Nazi to help get Nazis out of Germany. And one of the most famous Nazis that he was able to get out was Josef Mengele, the oh, the Doctor of Death. Yeah, the Doctor of Death from Auschwitz, who was responsible for selecting. Uh, selecting from the demographics brought in people that yeah. he found interesting. Uh, and and your uh, definition of interesting is probably very different from Joseph Mengele's definition, yes. of, Brian's definition of, of interesting. And mine too, because it, it, he would take things like, he would take twins and then feed one of them seawater and then see how the other reacted or uh, sew them together. Um, he would 
he would put people in uh, in ovens and then just turn them on and see how they reacted to getting hotter and hotter until they died. He was basically like a small child, like in a backyard with spiders. Like, like what do you? Th- how do you think people are going to react to being put in an oven? You think they're going to like <laughs> they're going to turn into Captain Fucking America or something? He was the grown up version of the bad kid in Toy Story. Yes, Sid. He was basically Sid from Toy Story. Yeah, if he wasn't um, killed in Toy Story three. Yeah, and then when you uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a really weird scene. That was in a Toy dark Story turn 3, for for uh, Pixar. Where they waterboarded Sid to death. <laughs> um, and Yusuf Mingala was you know responsible for horrible, horrible crimes. Uh, and there were plenty of witnesses, uh, who, you know, survivors from Auschwitz who would have been able to identify him and, you know, bring him, bring him to trial and then most likely execution. And so he well, was able to lawyer. Yeah. If he got Johnny Cochran, who knows? Yeah. He put it, we would have pulled that racial superiority card. Remember from 1991? Um, and, uh, you know, call back to our first proto episode, Bob Grodin, the guy who camps out in Dealey Plaza. He was the dude who was the photographic expert on the, um, on the OJ trial. And he's the one that said that they faked the photograph of him wearing the glove. What the fuck? This dude is a moron, right? No, he's awesome. I love Bob. (laughs) You're a moron. you're, You're Facebook friends. Well, he also has a better beard than you, Brian. And he no went on. Way. No way. <laughs> my, beard, wow. my, beard, my beard has been doing really well. Is that a well gauntlet recently. clanging in the background? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do throw my gauge at thee, Brian. Yeah, I've been growing, I've been growing it out for like four months. Brian's talking. beard is so big, it, it basically, you have to wonder now if the beard is growing, Brian. Right. Gene, <laughs> here, here's a quiz for you. Who went on the Geraldo Rivera show in the late 70s and showed the Zabruder film to the American people for the first time ever? Was it A, Brian, or B, Bob Grodin? Or C, Brian's beard. <laughs> it was Brian's beard. You know it. <laughs> Brian's no, Brian, beard. you are a far more sane person than Bob Brian's Grodin. Brian's beard but, but predates time itself. <laughs> but, but Before Bob is time, a, Bob there is was a, Brian's beard. Bob it's is a super nice since. guy. I, I think he was traumatized because his 18th birthday was November 22nd, 1963. So I, I think that he is the the ultimate um, orphan of Camelot. And so for like the past 50 years, he's been kind of wandering in this daze and hasn't kind of got past that day. He's, he's a really nice guy, but, but yes, there's a certain degree of illogic to many of the statements he's made over the years. Man, that also means his birthday is November 22nd, 2013, which is going to be the 50th anniversary of his 18th birthday. Oh, <laughs> so for sure, he will be at Dealey Plaza. Um, if you see a dude on the grassy knoll, just books. like any other day of the week. Yeah, well, no, he's actually. I revised my statements earlier. He's he's only there Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Oh wow, sure. okay. Yeah, he's at the men's shelter every other day. <laughs> <laughs> well, he got kicked out of the Y. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, so... Bob. I'm sure you're a nice guy. So uh, Mingla was a- was able to uh, you know ship off to Europe, uh, or sorry, from Europe to South America, and you know he's he, of all the people that got away, um, all he's the, the Nazis most who got away, the white he's, whale. Yeah, he was really the white whale and the captain Ahab of this t- story, Simon Wiesenthal. And Easy yes, ball. and the point where that metaphor goes awry. Because is, yeah, uh, he did not is, cut off his leg. Yeah, Zeman Wiesenthal. No, a whale. The whale ate his leg. Um, um, Mangala ate his leg? 
Yeah. No, Mangala. Ahab did. Ahab I have this, uh, this awesome book about uh, Simon Wiesenthal called uh, Nazi Hunter. Um, and uh, there's like this great picture of uh, like a rendering of what Mengele was purported to look like. Surprisingly during... spitting image of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the picture was it was basically just him with a mustache and a fedora. And like that is just like a parody. Dodson, Dodson, we've got, we got Dodson here. here. It's basically like a parody of a guy who's trying to like cover up the fact that he's a former Nazi. If you ever see a dude with like a fake looking mustache and a fedora, just assume he's a Nazi trying to escape Simon Wiesenthal. Yeah, especially if he's trying to advertise Google Glass at a TEDx <laughs> talk. Wait, th- those those are Nazis? Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, all of them. Oh, okay. Um. Okay. Uh, Jeez. <laughs> so, 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 so for for a long time, Mengele's whereabouts were unknown, and even though Wiesenthal, who who was you know aggressive in his pursuit of Nazis and being a Nazi hunter, um, he went to South America several times. He was one of the people who helped ter- determine where Eichmann was, which we'll probably get to in a minute. But uh, he could never track down Mengele, and in his memoirs and subsequent talks and. Uh, um, stories about this period of his life, he did say that, you know, the Western allies, especially because of, you know, focusing on moving forward and not going back and trying to retread all of these um, trials like the Nuremberg trials and stuff, but also because of their use of Nazis, as in, you know, the Operation Paperclip situations. These Western allies were just uninterested in pursuing Nazis further. And so Josef Mengele Went to South America, evaded capture for, you know, decades, and eventually it's like just... like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah, except for except for Mengele never died in a shootout. He died peacefully. Well, we don't house. know, Brian. They fee- they freeze frame at the end, and you yeah. can't tell if they're going to make it out. It's ambiguous. Yeah, there, 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 was, there was no sequel like the two Jakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, Congratulations, uh, Brian. <laughs> yes! For got it in there! working in the two Jakes. Man, uh, I, I love that part of um, Simon Wiesenthal's book where Eichmann and Mengele are about to jump off a cliff, and he says, "I can't swim," and he says, "Swim is a po- the fall will probably kill you." Yeah, yeah, that part's great. Scene. And then they yeah, say and, shit, and, but they don't say the T, so you could say it in a PG movie. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, uh, but so uh, later on, um, you know, after pursuing Mengele for years and years. There's this place known as the uh, Colonia Dignidad or Villa Baviera, um, which is uh, Spanish for Bavarian village. And it was this place in Chile, which, uh, if you recall, on 9-11, 1973, became uh, became a dictatorship under Pinochet. Um, And it was a place founded in the 1960s by a former child molester. From Germany. I don't know if he's a former child molester. He probably kept that going. Uh, Jesus, that is quite a resume. <laughs> former child molester from Germany. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was a Luftwaffe paramedic during the war. Oh, and a Nazi. Okay. okay. <laughs> so he he was trying to escape justice, and he moved to Chile, and he uh, he founded this German village, essentially, in, in the middle of nowhere in Chile, and he invited other Germans, and it, it swelled, and, and, you know, 
hundreds of people eventually lived there. So wait, it's this is the, this. Can we put this guy as a candidate for the worst douche ever? It's like <laughs> child molesting Nazis, like creating a special Bavarian village where other Nazis can come and chill in Chile. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, Jesus fucking and, Christ. And after the fact, uh, Wiesenthal was able to track Mengele's uh, presence to this location. Neat. So during the 60s, uh, Mengele was able to, you know, live a free life in this German, uh, this German uh, kind of weird cult society in the middle of Chile. And um, it was basically you know, his ultimate experiment. He proved God doesn't exist. <laughs> Well, he proved that God hates justice, if anything. Um, Because after after the 1973 coup, uh, Pinochet was uh, there's you know some evidence that he relied on services provided by uh, the um, Colonia. I'll just call it the Bavarian village because I don't speak Spanish. Um, He relied on them for services in you know torture and uh, executing certain of his horrific crimes as a an autocratic dictator i like how the, uh, the united states we rely on former nazis to like go to the moon whereas pinochet re- relies on them for their torture skills <laughs> he, re- he relies on them to uh compliment his look um but <laughs> well, yeah so, so wait, you're saying that like he is the not very attractive girl who keeps around the extremely unattractive girl to make herself feel better about herself he's like the evil dictator that keeps around the evil dick the more evil dictators to make himself feel less evil yeah he's the brian of, of latin america <laughs> wait are, are you saying that we're nazis <laughs> no 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 i'm saying that uh uh I don't know what I'm saying. I guess the metaphor went astray. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but they found they found Mengele's bones there, and there and evidence that he had served there. They don't know exactly what he did for Pinochet, but this is a dude who committed some of the most heinous crimes in all of the Holocaust Museum, and he was Jesus. able to, you know, escape justice, live a life, you know, under a, an assumed name in South America, and eventually commit further crimes. You know, we 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 can suppose. Uh, until he died a natural death in 1979. Died peacefully in his sleep. Yeah, and they found his journals, didn't they? And they, like, sold them at auction or something. I want to say that turned out to be a hoax. Oh, okay. On the auction card, it was sold to someone named B. Lane. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, guys, I'm totally broke. (laughs) (laughs) You spent 200 grand on a fucking fake Nazi diary. Well worth it. (laughs) Oh, that sounds like a show that that uh, Shrey would listen to ne- or watch next on Nazi Diaries. Because I think that well, Shere she watches all your, these vampire uh, diary uh, shows. Shrey being your uh, fiance, fiance for people who don't know. Yeah, everyone's obsessed with first they're obsessed with zombies, then it was vampires. I think that the next thing is there's going to be a bunch of like teen shows about secret Nazis and their their Man. romance. Yeah. And that's where I really shine. Pretty little Nazis. <laughs> Pretty um, little Nazis. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Um, Simon, the Nazi slayer. <laughs> so, so, so another person that was able to escape these, uh, escape these uh, through these rat lines and get to South America was the infamous Adolf Eichmann. And Eichmann is mm, uh, I don't know, any way I put this is going to sound terrible. Uh, he's an interesting figure in he's the a great man and a great lover. <laughs> Um, he's an interesting figure in the history of Nazism, specifically because of uh, this um, second chapter to his life. 
um, and the evidence and interpretation of his personality that we got from Hannah Arendt in her famous book, Eichmann yeah. in Jerusalem. Um, he, he took the rat trail down to Argentina, right? Yeah. So so during World War II, he was an SS bureaucrat who served under uh, Reinhard Heydrich, who was, uh, you know, the head of the Gestapo and a high pl- high ranking SS man who essentially uh, tabled the meeting in Vanze that's known as the Vanze conference. And this was a 1940 meeting of some of the top bureaucrats, political officials, and even scientists in Nazi Germany. That was 1000% top secret. And it's essentially really a who. Yeah. It's a who's who minus anyone you ever would have heard. Kind of like the Academy Awards, but for Nazis. Nazis. Anyone was there. I'm pretty sure that Lee Marvin and his Dirty Dozen tried to take these guys down. And yeah. you really thought that Jim Brown was going to make it. But then yeah, Telly Savalas fucked it all up. Oh, yeah, thanks a lot, Spoiler asshole. Spoiler alert. <laughs> For a movie um, from the early 60s. Uh, this, so at this meeting, uh, these people decided on how to carry out the Holocaust. Kenneth um, Branagh decided. Let's, let's yeah, be fair. Can- Kenneth Branagh and Stanley Tucci decided on how to carry out the Holocaust. And it's a it's a very interesting meeting if you look at it from the context of, you know, here are some top Nazis, but uh, Hitler wasn't present. So the Holocaust Goebbels wasn't happened. present. Himmler wasn't present. It turns out it did. Yeah, that's another hmm. potential and inside job. I heard that and, I heard that they were all uh, they were all uh, holograms, all the concentration camps. Yeah, well, you've been reading a little too much from Ahmadinejad's personal blog. Oh, okay. Is um, there another source? We must uh, take down these evildoers like info... dinner jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Gene, you need to get signed on to a little website known as InfoWars. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, but they decided what Not the Holocaust was. And then, and then Eichmann essentially figured out the logistics of committing something as huge as the yeah, Holocaust. Yeah, he was the guy who was like in charge of like actually emigrating all of the the Jewish people in and around the camps, right? Yeah, figuring out how to transport, you know, huge masses of civilians that were rounded up via rail lines to concentration camps, figuring out how to feed them an obscenely low amount of calories a day. Which they solved by just not feeding them. Uh, I mean, towards the end of the war, yeah. Um and he did, you know, did this famous uh, blood for trucks deal in Hungary. Uh, but he was also... Also matching up roommates, which is just like a nightmare. Yeah, he's the guy who teamed up me and Banger freshman year. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Ike, man, come on. He's the guy who put me uh, with a narcoleptic my freshman year of college. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was interesting in that. Brian, I think not... he was just falling asleep all the time because you were talking to him. Oh, that might have been it. Yeah. You're like, I'm surrounded by so many, so many narcoleptics. Right, he just faked falling asleep to get out of talking mm. to you. Well, that's weird because it didn't stop me from gabbing. Uh, but uh, but uh, he, he was interesting in that, you know, you, you think of Nazis as being very ignorant about Jewish culture, but actually Eichmann was one of the few who really pursued it. He even taught himself Yiddish uh, and and worked hand-in-hand with a lot of jewish representatives in nazi-occupied europe so he was dealing with um hungarian jews to try to negotiate ways for them to help the nazis round up uh jewish civilians yeah it's really disgusting these guys but he was able to escape via the spinnen network and get down to argentina 
where he uh, he he hung out for several years as just a middling, you know, pow- uh, uh, representative for a power company. Um, and it was Simon Wiesenthal and his uh, his network that were able to track him down and then tell the Israelis that, hey, we found Eichmann. The Israelis, uh, in a in a you know another example of our James, fucking badassness, <laughs> James Bond precision, were able to swoop in in the middle of the night, uh, capture Eichmann, and then transport and him, tell him back we to Israel. You. <laughs> oh God! Uh, no, but I mean it was a big scandal because they violated Argentina's sovereignty and. Yeah, you know, I mean, on the list of sovereignties that you can violate with repercussions, it's there's there's an old um, Hebrew phrase that uh, roughly translated is, ah, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Um, uh, I think uh, that uh, um, there was some sort of background deal that we don't have evidence of, but uh, apparently like Israel increased its exports to Argentina or something like that. To kind of say they're sorry, <laughs> but uh, Eichmann was put on trial in Jerusalem, and it was this fantastically sensational trial uh, in Israel. Which say what does... you will about the Jews, we know how to put on a good show. Yeah, well, it's pretty good. You got you got all those translation headphones on, um, and uh, Hannah Arendt, who was a a, a a German Jew who had emigrated to the United States pre World War II. And was uh, a very famous writer and philosopher. Traveled to Jerusalem for, I believe it was the New Yorker, but covered the trial. And uh, wrote about it and and produced this idea that has kind of been misinterpreted or overused, at least, in, you know, over the years. This idea of the banality of evil. And Yeah, that he wasn't like a dude with a scar on his face stroking a cat. He was kind of like, yes, it's my job. I was just being evil. Yeah, just just a regular guy, a regular cog in the machine of basically the you know, original Cato Kalin. Yeah, did we talk about the the time at the same time they were doing that psychological experiment experiment where people were pretending to yeah the Milgram experiment where they were pretending to electrocute individuals? Uh, no, but we should probably save that for another episode. Oh, okay. We might cover that totally. All right. Well, um, it's it's kind of that 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 experiment was being done at the same time as the Eichmann trial, so it it really kind of put a unsettling chord in everyone and kind of like awakened this idea that perhaps there is a banality of evil within us all if we were in the right circumstances. That we're all Trevors. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're all Trevors. Yes. Call back to it, you joke before we started recording. <laughs> If, if if you look at if you look at uh, this the story of Eichmann, essentially, uh, especially the one that um, Hannah Arendt presents in her book, it's uh, it's very peculiar because it's it is a man with morals. There is probably the most fascinating detail of the entire book is that he's given reading material in his cell, and he's given the book Lolita, and after reading it for a book, he returns it to his captors and says uh, it's an immoral book. Oh, that uh, could just be a trick. Of course, that's what you say. You don't go, oh, I love this book. <laughs> but 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 it is a very peculiar uh, thing to take to take issue with, you know, the the child. Uh, they should have given him Jurassic Park. I would have liked to hear what he said about that. 
Oh, he he loved it. He's on he's on uh, he's on record saying that he really preferred it that Muldoon lived in the book, but <laughs> not in the movie. Yeah. By the Jurassic way, my Park copy of... is kind of a metaphor for the Holocaust. By the way, my copy of Lolita is uh, in between Unread. My, in between my copy of Nazi Hunter and Brain Droppings by George Carlin on my bookshelf. Shit, <laughs> on the same shelf as the making of Jurassic wow. Park. Wow, George Carlin deserves better. Eh, does he really? No, it was a joke. Uh, so she was able to look at him as like a cog in the machine. He uh, respected his own position and his own. Um, you know, aspiration within this Nazi bureaucracy and used his abilities of manipulating that bureaucracy to propel him to a point where essentially he was in over his head and barely competent, kind of an example of the Peter principle, um, and just sort of drummed along doing this work that from an outsider's perspective is disgusting and immoral and inhumane. But, you know, essentially from an insider's perspective, the only important elements of it were doing a good enough job to get recognized by your superiors while keeping anyone who might threaten your position, you know, out of uh, out of contention for uh, promotion. So, Brian, would you say that this study of banality could be known as banalysis? (laughs) Yep, I certainly could. Uh, no, um, so, so, uh, but even throughout this trial, and by the way, Eichmann was found very guilty. And <laughs> they, they invented a special, very guilty. <laughs> they invented a special, uh, ruling for very guilty. No, they did. They totally did because Israel does not have, uh, capital punishment, but they did hang Eichmann. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the capital, see, we don't, that's the thing is Jews. We don't believe in uh, heaven. We just believe in, I'm, I'm sorry. We don't believe in hell. We just believe in Florida and we don't believe in <laughs> capital punishment, just in-laws. Hey, hey, hey. hey. So Eichmann could have pled pretty guilty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He could still be living now in an Israeli prison. Yeah. I plead sort of guilty. For a while, they were thinking of putting him in a cage at Yad Vashem so that people could throw rotten fruit at him. But uh, no way of that, knowing if that's a joke. Um, that the, the, we we overruled that how one. How do you how do you know that's not a joke? That, I would believe that. Yeah, it was overrided by the fact where like a bunch of people were like, "But it's such good fruit. It's such a waste. We could be eating. It, it costs yeah. a bunch of money." Brian, as Lee can attest, the Jews are a vengeful people. <laughs> and we don't like wasting food. Uh, my grandma's well, they, been passed away for like six months, and I'm pretty sure there's still half of a tuna sandwich from Hoff's Hut in the fridge. Yeah, that was the least believable thing about that supposition. And we've there. sold the house already. Waste but we're food. Like, it was it was a contingency of sale that you couldn't throw away the half of a tuna fish sandwich that's been in the fridge for six months. I think that's a grandma thing. What ordering being something? dead, saving no like, save, <laughs> saving Christ. food. Like, I remember going to my grandma's house in, like, January, and she was like, here, have some turkey and cranberry sauce. And I'm like, this is leftover Uh, from Thanksgiving, isn't it? There's nothing like a Holocaust and a Great Depression to make you not want to throw away food. Yeah. Um, I had some... uh, I'm glad we have Lee here to just basically be our... Just be crazy. Or get out of or get out of Jew jail. Freaker. I'm like the Robin Quivers of Judaism to your Howard Stern of anti-Semitism. Yeah, I actually I actually have a Jewish friend, and he is like constantly incensed at Lee for uh, selling out at the your people. <laughs> <laughs> He's incensed at me. 
Yeah, he's like, oh, I don't like, I don't like that he thinks he can get away with this. I, yeah, I get that all the time. Um, I was, I was doing stand up comedy for a while, and I was emceeing a show at the uh, the Bubble Lounge in San Francisco. It was like a burlesque comedy show, and this woman was saying, like, I had some joke that was like, if there was a Jewish Lunchables, it would just contain um, applesauce, um, a latka, and a coupon for another Lunchables, and she was like. <laughs> She was, like, she was like, hey, that's not cool. Um, you really shouldn't make fun of our people and, and enforce those stereotypes. And at that time, she was dressed like a gypsy because she had this whole act of pretending to be a, a gypsy that told comedic fortunes. Wow. To Brian's friend, you're absolutely right. I am so we have about horrible, five horrible minutes Jew. of content here. <laughs> Well, horrible. the thing about Eichmann is he was executed and, you know, there was this, you know, lengthy trial that uh, I think was filmed. I think you could actually watch it if yeah. you... Um... And he doesn't wear sunglasses, which to me is surprising because, like, all of the former Nazis were just like... They must have had, like, a meeting before the Nuremberg trials, which were obviously years before this, where they're like, hey, guys, um, we should all wear sunglasses just to, like, show solidarity and just be really cool. It's because they didn't want to get recognized at work. <laughs> Weren't well, you that uh, Nazi guy? No. What's weird? Who committed suicide with cyanide? What is weird about Eichmann's appearance during the trial is that no matter what picture you look at, it, 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 the facial expression is basically saying that he like smells something terrible. Uh, but he was kept in a bulletproof uh, cage. He was pretty much in a, in a Pope mobile the whole so time. So he, yeah, he must have been just like farting constantly. Oh and man, that was his like real his punishment. Own <laughs> didn't like his own brand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so despite this lengthy trial, they were ne- never able to get him to, you know, sell out anyone who had helped him escape. And as I said, Scorzani was living in Spain. He basically and... respected Omerta. Yeah. Omerta <laughs> law. Yeah, the law of silence. Isn't there like a thing like no snit no snitches or something like that? That's like a thing in Oh, in no there's no stitching in rap rap music. Yeah, exactly. There was God. Who was it? I think it was. Fuck. Uh, there was some rapper who's like big on no snitching, and he was asked during an interview. Uh, that was if... the Führer of Harlem. <laughs> the, Black the Black Führer of Harlem. Uh, and he was asked during an interview, "If you lived next to a serial killer, would you report him to the police?" And he sits there for a second, thinking, and then he's just like, "Nope." <laughs> Uh, such is his, <laughs> such is his bond to an ideology well, that doesn't yeah, make I any mean, sense. You gotta have principles. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, like that uh, that election where it was was it Dukakis who basically said that he wouldn't want to kill the guy who like raped his wife or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he rode around with that stupid helmet that said yeah. Dukakis on it. it. Yeah, George Bush and then George H. W. Bush rode the "I would kill the guy" platform <laughs> to victory. <laughs> The I would kill the guy donkey. A thousand points of I would kill the guy. <laughs> <laughs> that was during the, the clear and present danger gate um, crisis. Right. Um, so back to let's let's focus up here. Let's yeah. try to wrap this up. So uh, the thing the thing about the um, Scorsini's uh, ability to help these people get out of prison is that. He was based in Spain, which was, as we said, a neutral country. But then in 1952, he was declared in absentia denazified, which was sort of a, a blanket pardon that um, the German government, the Western German government handed down. Now, I don't mean pardon in the sense that if you had committed war crimes, you could 
get a, get away with things. But uh, because of Scorsini's military actions, he wasn't really considered to have, um, you know, commit, committed war crimes. It's more along the lines of you could you could travel freely and uh, denazif- you had to have a denazified clearance in order to serve in German government. Brian, you still haven't got yours, have you? <laughs> You're like, it's, it's in the mail! Shut up! Well, <laughs> it happened, but then I let a few words slip and it was revoked. <laughs> Those words were, <laughs> I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the way, my, my I mentioned this off mic, but my sister texted me last night and she was like, hey, I'm listening to your guys' show, the, the Nazi one. And I'm like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, whenever I can't sleep, I listen to the show. Yeah. And when she said the Nazi one, I mean, that could be any You had yeah. to ask for clarification. Yeah. So, so he was once he was denazified, he was able to travel freely, which allowed him to uh, interact with some of these uh, rat lines and uh, and other people in this uh, Dishpinda network, including uh, which uh, a name which people probably assumed that we would have said earlier, this supposed Odessa organization. Bum, bum, uh, bum. Odessa is ger- is a German abbreviation for Organisation der Ehemalige Ehemaligen SS Angehörigen, which means organization of former SS members. Oh, they just took your denazification card out of the mail. Oh, fuck. I, I lost again. Um, but this this is a this is it's weird because Despina uh, clearly existed, but Odessa Odessa the the uh, you know characteristics of Odessa are kind of still shady. Uh, yeah. It's it's un- it's unclear if it was a an international organization fronted by German companies who used connections in industry in order to ship Nazis out, or if it was just some sort of... shit that Frederick Forsyth made up. <laughs> well, like sort of a slang term for any method of you know individual pockets of individuals all around Germany and the world who could help Nazis get out of. It's Germany. kind of like how Xerox was just kind of blanketly used to say photo copy even if it wasn't a xerox brand photocopier machine yeah which is um god the brand genericization is yeah or band-aid is, is another way of saying that yeah uh uh and um it's actually kind of similar to uh somewhat controversial thoughts about al-qaeda where al-qaeda the al-qaeda that we you know in the united states sort of believe in is this international network of cells that rely on one another to carry out these horrific terrorist actions whereas others are others say like oh no it's actually you know just a word that is adopted by disparate groups all over the middle east and the world in order to seem stronger you know if there is a sense of a whole then these groups that really have nothing in common with one another except for violent ideologies, uh, they can seem more terrifying than they are. Um, so that is sort of what Odessa is, and we don't really have an answer. A lot of people, so like Zeman Wiesenthal, uh, claimed that it was a real thing, uh, a conspiratorial network of... And he's a character in the Odessa file, too, which is like, there's a whole <laughs> scene where like he, the main character like goes to his office. Well, wait, you should explain what uh, the Odessa file is to people who oh, okay. don't know. The Odessa file is a great novel by Frederick Forsyth that was written in the 1970s about this young reporter who... Um, I think it's on the night of the Kennedy assassination in 1963, 
Um, he's doing a. Everyone is doing reports. Bob Grodin's 18th birthday. Bob Grodin's 18th birthday birthday party. He's supposed to be doing a story on the Kennedy assassination. He finds out that this old Jewish gentleman um, has died, and he finds the guy's diary. He he says that you know he lost his wife during the war, and um, he tells the story of this Nazi who ruined his life, who's sort of a Mengele esque evil Nazi, and how he saw the man alive, a lot, you know, on the streets of Berlin, walking as a free man. And when he when he saw that, he decided to to kill himself. And at the end, he says, you know, if someone finds this this diary, will pl- someone please say Kaddish for me? And um, I know I'm a horrible Jew, but w- w- whenever I think about that. That story, um, you know, will someone please say Kaddish for me? Kaddish, by the way, is the the prayer that you say for 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 the dead. It it, it strikes a, a chord in my heart, and a lot of I have to admit, a lot of the jokes that I make about Judaism and stuff is like kind of a defense reaction for the you know the the, the horrors that have been put on my people. It's kind of like you know you know people who ad- adopt. Horrible slang names for whatever group they're in because it's kind of like their way of taking back the word. This is like doing this podcast is kind of like me taking back the horrors that were committed upon my people. But um, so he decides that he's going to team up with Mossad, the the uh, Israeli secret service uh, force. This is the young reporter to pretend he is a Odessa agent, infiltrate the organization and take these fuckers down. And it is a badass book. Um, and I suggest anyone pick it up um, who loves s- stories that ta- start about the Kennedy assassination and end up about hunting down Nazis. <laughs> Which is essentially the plot of this po- podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so um, Odessa, that's where Odessa really entered the, uh, the, the sort of popular consciousness. Uh, but as Lee said, that wasn't until the 1970s. While things like Eichmann, the Eichmann trial and certain other trials... Uh, and Eichmann's Nazis. a character in Mother Night, which is another sort of similar similar book by Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, he probably didn't a... get any royalties for that. <laughs> Eichmann, no. <laughs> it's the real injustice. <laughs> yeah, that's the he... real injustice of, of all the things we've talked about. Yeah. He's he's also a character in The Kindly Ones, which if you like re- reading thousand-page fictional representations of the Holocaust, let me tell you, it's great. <sighs> Who are you, Martin uh... Gilbert? For Christ's sakes. I figured if anyone would understand Martin Gilbert jokes, it would be you, Ryan. I it's I'm, it's just escaping me. What what is it? Martin Gilbert is, is like a historian that just writes thousand page books about awful things in history. My dad loves him. Mm, yeah, it sounds like somebody I would be into. My dad, fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's just so hot, uh... <laughs> muscular. He's got the body of Spider Man and the face of the dude who plays Igor in Young Frankenstein. Marty Feldman, ladies and gentlemen. Marty Feldman. Give it up. Um, uh, no, but so this entered the public, pu- public consciousness in 1970, but, you know, uh, the 1970s. But this is, you know, essentially 30 years after the war. A lot of these people have been able to escape to wherever they were going. But that is around the time that, uh, that uh, they start cracking down on Nazis, so to speak, and, and finding them out. So you have that. You have the Odessa file. I know you have the Odessa file, and then you also have the 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 book and movie Boys from the Brazil, which is just insane, but also kind of fun. Where Steve Gutenberg figures out that Joseph Mengele has 
cloned 94 uh, copies of Hitler all around the world and then he hi- and then uh, Mingala hires uh, assassins to go around murdering their fathers the stupidest part of that is Steve Gutenberg incidentally <laughs> his first movie I believe um, but he uh, they have to murder their fathers be- to simulate uh, Hitler's father's own death at uh, at a young age and uh, they're trying to get these clones of Hitler to be you know Embrace their fear, fear uh, legacy, and and become Hitler again. It's Gene, are you done. writing this down? <laughs> yes, breathlessly. Okay, good. I assume that you're taking notes in all of these twenty five episodes. Um. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, might be the funniest thing I've ever said on this show. I mean, Gene, Gene is a real trooper in these episodes, but uh, you're like semi zoned out at all times, right? Are you talking to me right now? Gene is the everyman. Brian, you're kind of like the, you know, you're the brains of the operation. You bring it back to the facts. Like, I'm the wild card who's just going to say some horrible shit. And Gene's the everyman. He's the one that when people are listening to the show, they're sort of seeing it through his eyes. I'm like Joey from Friends. Yeah, you're going to get the spinoff once this show yeah, I'm gets Joey. canceled. Brian is Ross. And I'm Lisa Monica. Kudrow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Monica. At least I'm not fat Monica, right? Lee is uh, Lee is Marcel the monkey. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm I'm the duck or whatever they have running around. Shit. Okay, so uh, so this is about the time when they started cracking down on Nazis, and you see evidence of more and more Nazis being brought to trial around this time. So, for instance, Klaus Barbie. Oh my butcher, god, the butcher of Leon. Yeah, the butcher of Leon, who uh, one of who, the least uh, popular Barbie dolls that Mattel rolled out. <laughs> Klaus Barbie. Well, well, he was. Presenting an unrealistic image of evil to little girls. <laughs> this dude into the show right there. Steve, yeah, right, oh, man, that was cool. Uh, yeah, this dude is terrible. He was. Uh, a By the way, if you can leader. hear children screaming in the background, those are all the clones of Hitler I'm training. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a Gestapo leader based in Lyon, France, which is where the French Resistance was based as well. And, and he used he... to torture people by hanging them from hooks while they were living. Yep. Uh, uh, sometimes in public, uh, th- there's a there's a Place de la République in Lyon, which is a, a huge open square. And if you go there, just think about how French Resistance leaders were just hanged there constantly in public. So and he, le- and left hanging there. Yeah. He as, was smuggled uh, out of the United States. I mean, into the he was studi- uh, smuggled out of Germany. Also, um, I don't know if it was part of Operation Paperclip. But he was smuggled out by American agents of the OSS. One of them was John J. McCloy, who helped smuggle him out. Um, John, May- John J. McCloy was also the guy who suggested to Roosevelt that he not bomb the um, trains to Auschwitz. And uh, John J. McCloy later served on the Warren Commission. Wait, Great FDR guy. wanted to bomb the trains transporting Holocaust. No, no, no. He wanted to. I'm sorry. The 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 the, the tracks, railroad the railroad yeah. tracks. Uh, the, the, we might have talked about this on the show before because I love babbling about this. We but, must cut off the Nazi supply of Holocaust Jews. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it, it is it is it is uh, very controversial in Holocaust studies. Why, if they knew exactly what was going on in the concentration camps, they didn't bomb the train tracks, which would you know delay the delivery of Jews to these killing factories. Uh, it's a huge issue that we. It's kind of you know way too big for the show. Right, Eichmann was tracking them online matter. on eBay, wondering why it took so long to get over there. Yeah, 
America well, didn't want to he... prove fascism didn't work, just in case we wanted to become fascist. <laughs> just in case the kingfish rose to the presidency. Yeah. Um, but uh, Is that Huey Long? Yeah, Huey Long. Oh, we could do a whole episode about the Huey Long assassination. Yeah, American fascism oh. at, its, at its finest. Huey Long in the news. <laughs> yeah. Another another uh, pertinent uh, reference by uh, Brian and Lee. <laughs> um, oh man! So let's just let's sort of let's sort of tie this up. Yeah, yeah. Barbie Barbie was able to get to uh, get to the U.S. The French found out Mary he was Ken. there. Uh, he went and... to. They sent him to Bolivia, where I think he helped hunt. He helped the CIA hunt down Che. Yeah, supposedly he helped down. He helped hunt down Che Guevara and murder him. Uh, but that's a that's a topic for a whole other show. But uh, what but, a douchebag Che was, and and the fact that like uh, nice young people working at coffee shops in San Francisco wear T-shirts of him like he's Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, that's yeah, topic. That's, that's weird. But uh, but so Barbie was taken back, and he was the most high profile of uh, of these Nazis. But what is very interesting is that at his trial in France, his lawyer, this guy named Vargas. Um, Sort of defended him, uh, defended him in this perspective of yes, he committed all these horrible crimes, but is, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> but is but is French colonialism any different? Are, are the activities that the French government committed in Indochina and uh, Laos and, and uh, Algeria any different from what the Nazis were doing? How can we be so high-minded to think that we're better than the crimes that Barbie and the Nazis committed when we do similar things around the world? world but uh what he forgot to uh, remember was that the french government was doing that to brown people so nobody in france cared uh so y- you do you you do see i mean that i think that brings it around to to the end because barbie was smuggled up by the united states and so it is you know while while there is a conspiracy at work or at least i'm presenting it as such a conspiracy at work to smuggle nazis out of europe and this was perpetrated by Nazis. There was obviously help from the United States and the Allies, more majorly in the sense of Operation Paperclip. But you know, this is t- kind of like tiny... the spiritual sequel to the Operation Paperclip. This is this is the two Jakes to the Operation yeah. Paperclip. Oh episode. man, you just nailed it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go around and say, like, Gene, do you think uh, Dishpena and Odessa? Do you think these were inside jobs? I think it's pretty clear that this was an inside job. All right, and Lee, absolutely an inside job. Although I agree with with you, Brian. That what o- the if Odessa, I don't know if, if Odessa was as clear of a full organization as uh, you know Wiesenthal or Forsyth Forsyth thought that they were. But yes, definitely yeah. there was an inside job. Def- definitely, definitely an inside job. Uh, and I will, and I will, uh, I will also go in for that and say yes, inside job. Is this our first threefer? Is this the first time Gene hasn't specifically said the opposite of what everybody else is thinking in order to get a unanimous decision? Yeah, this is our first true inside job. Up top. Bam. Finally, 60 years later or 70 years later, we get to the bottom of a fucking mystery. Well, I thought Brian was going to say it wasn't an inside job because he doesn't believe in the Holocaust. Well, because he's part of the operation. Yeah. Right, right. Either way. Uh, he has I a swastika to... on the back of his watch that he leaves um, on a table while giving a speech in a Tom Clancy movie. I uh, tr- I try to spread dissent and uh, confuse the people. 
so you know doing doing my best here uh so um thank you know thanks to you guys for helping me out with this episode i think thanks to the fans for putting up with yeah. another silly nazi episode it's nice to be oh yeah thanks, we should talk Ryan every so often we should we should again give a shout out to Jesse who not only started a GTA online gang but also created like in game art so you can wear an Inside Jobs T shirt on GTA Online which is really exciting yeah so so Jesse L uh, a big fan of ours on Twitter and in um, I don't know Texas guys from somewhere in there uh but he started yeah he started a fuck everything i say is gonna sound stupid a club what did he start god you sound like my mom every time we talk about fucking video games brian what is it a league or a group it's a gang it's a crew brian started a crew he started a crew crew. he's shit lee you weren't even getting it right yeah he started he started a crew on gta for fans of inside jobs cast i think he's just using it to get closer to lee um, because he loves his sultry tones, um, but uh, but well, yeah, that's no, why he, he started, started this podcast. Well, I, I mean, obviously, how else am I going to get half a chub on a Saturday <laughs> evening? Enzite uh, <laughs> is obviously not working. <laughs> Smilingbob.com. Uh, he he started he started a a, a a crew on GTA. So if you want to join, you friend Easy Penguin. That's all one word: E A S Y, and then the word penguin. Uh, I think you have to do it through socialclub.rockstar.com. But uh, if you friend him, then you can get an invite to join, and you can see whenever Lee and Gene are online. Uh, and you can think about what book I'm probably reading instead of playing at that very moment. Yeah. Uh, is it boring? Probably. Also pretty long. Gene and I have super funny conversations on our little Xbox uh, headsets, and I do funny voices. So uh, it's just a, it's a fun way to meet and greet the uh the 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 fan the the inside jobs community yeah i am i am legitimately jealous that you guys get to hang out and do that uh you're just jealous that people are hanging out even if it's a virtual hangout that's more than you get out of your social life yeah yeah you're Uh, stuck on second life brian would play all (laughs) brian would follow all the laws if you Auto, he would wait at the red lights. He would buy cars. <laughs> yeah, he would buy cars. He would save. He would get a real job and then save up to buy. Yeah, a we'd car. get a nine to five working in a cubicle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, he works at what's it called, Life Invader. I'm actually I'm actually traveling to to Houston to for work on Monday, and I'm going to be there for four fucking days. Man, I can't and, wait for that GTA Dealey Plaza that's coming out. <laughs> and I was I honestly was going to try to get to Dallas, but it, it's not working out. Uh, and probably for the best, because otherwise I wouldn't be here right now recording this show. Um, but man, the loneliness of the business traveler dwarfs the loneliness of Brian any other time. That but is that's the perfect real... time to make friends. Unless you discovered you're a, a new Nazi level obsessive. of loneliness. No, because the deal I got for the hotel, and this is fucking true, uh, the hotel I got is actually a hotel used by people who uh, need to stay for a lengthy period of time at a nearby hospital. Oh, God. It's a portable on-demand storage <laughs> unit in the back of a hospital, isn't it, Brian? I told you not to live in those anymore. I know. But, it's fucking... This is going to be really... Yeah, you need an uh, Xbox, Brian. Yeah, It's going to be a really depressing trip. How much does an Xbox cost? It's like they're two Hondo. Che- they're cheap now. Oh really? Yeah. How much? How much is the game? It's like sixty, 60 bucks. bucks. Oh, that's that's affordable, especially for the hours of entertainment you're getting out of it. By the way, we're sponsored content. Uh, all right. So last week we forgot to mention, but really, come on, guys, get on that iTunes and rate us. It would be really, really great. Uh, it really, really helps out because it 
you know, raises uh, our show when people are searching for stuff on the internet or on iTunes. So if you think it's a waste of time, it really isn't because it, it will help us out. And even though we have millions of listeners, we always want to increase yeah. the Inside Jobs fan I mean, You just heard what happened community. to Eichmann. Don't let that happen to you. Shit. Don't let Israel invade your sovereignty to kidnap you and Put then you create a, a new law prison. allowing it to execute you. Um, that's how we so, roll but yeah it, it, it's super it's super helpful if you do that so you know take the time and it would be really appreciated yeah um and emma if you're asleep right now um fuck you no i love you you're a great sister everybody thank you for listening if you want to get in touch with us on twitter at inside jobscast or you can email us inside jobscast at gmail.com always call our hotline 413-225-1963 can you say the follow year- Sorry. The year of Bob Grodin's 18th birthday. Can you say follow the Deutschmarks again this episode? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. But I want to say one more thing. Again, uh, our, hot, our, our hotline, uh, 413-225-1963. Uh, Dan from Denver called in, but I couldn't understand what you were saying. Please call back because I would love to hear what you were trying to say. Was it a joke about Gene? Maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but give us a call. And everybody else out there, yeah, call in. Tell us uh, what you want to hear, what kind of episodes you're into. Or tell us about some breaking news conspiracies that you've heard about. Yeah. That's what people on Twitter are tweeting at me. Oh, and go to the mm-hmm. go find a celeb. Remember, they're supposed to find a conspiracy celeb and tweet them. Yeah. Find a, find a conspiracy celeb. I have the feeling Jesse Ventura doesn't run his own Twitter account, so maybe not him. But anybody else, yeah. Like, uh, gosh, he changed his name recently, but Gabe. Who used formerly at Zombie Babies? That dude is excellent at telling John Cusack to listen to the show. Yeah, uh, and and yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Race on iTunes. We will be back next week with a super special guest for a super special episode. In the meantime, I'll be living at the hospital hotel, <laughs> so I'll probably be pretty bored. And Get near death, Twitter. literally near death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, until until next week, follow the Deutschmarks. Which is essentially the plot of this po- podcast. <laughs> yeah. Gene, are you cracking ice in the background? I'm sorry. My screen to my window is... Playing like Grand par- Theft Auto No, Online. it's like partially open, and it's like impossible to put a... Like, the only way to get a screen back in is to go outside and push it back, but I'm on a second floor. Oh, I thought you meant the screen of your computer. No, the screen yeah. on my window, and there is this weird infestation of bugs... A few of them have flown into my window during this podcast. I've killed them, and they're, like, starting to just crawl up on the other side of the screen. All right, you need to round them up, put them in a model train, take them to a little (laughs) camp. Uh, Yeah, so sorry. I was trying to, like, basically use a pen to...
punch a small hole in my screen and then try to like wedge it back in a little bit. Oh, come on. That's your final solution? Jesus. (laughs) Are you gearing to keep making so much noise during this show? Brian, go sit in the truck. It's not (laughs) Um, I have to give credit to Todd Glass for that joke. He he came up with the go sit in the truck joke. Uh, I have to give credit to myself for coming up with that gearing to do something joke. (laughs) Go sit in the truck! 